Wise Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think and feel and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights that our guests bring you here on the show each and every week. And we've got a great show and a great guest for you this week. We've got a special guest. His name is Michael J. Stephen, M.D. He's written this book about the lungs, something, an organ we don't really think about too much, but we use it all the time, each and every day. In fact, they say that people usually breathe about 600 million, take about 600 million breaths throughout their lifetime. So the name of the book, again, Breathtaking the Power, Fragility, and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs. We're going to go deep with Dr. Stephen on that. We're going to talk about covid Quite, uh, quite a bit because uh, Dr. Stephen has been on the front line. He has seen what COVID can do. He has experienced getting COVID and his family also contracted it and he's recovered as they have. And he's going to share with us uh, a lot of insights on the disease itself, some of the breakthroughs that are happening there and what we can do to protect ourselves so we don't get this dreaded infection, if you will. So, Guys, Guys Radio, uh, special guest, Michael J. Stevens, MD. So before we get there, let's talk about the Super Bowl. If, you, if you're not done talking about it, let's do it just a little bit more. I know it was a couple of days ago, so we've had a little bit of time to let everything set in, and then we'll move on from there. But it was a very good game, I thought. Um, although there were some penalties, you've got to say that uh, Tom Brady gets some props. He's got some kind of voodoo going on there that... You can't deny whether it's skill and a little bit of luck and a magic potion. You know what? He's got it. Every time the chip seems to fall fall his way, and uh, I give him full credit for that. But it's amazing that at 43 years old, Tom Brady switched franchises. He switched leagues, conferences, if you will, to be on a team. Tampa Bay Bucks that were they were seven and nine last year. He took the team all the way to the Super Bowl by virtue of winning three road games during the playoffs and then beating a very strong Kansas City Chiefs defending championship team in the Super Bowl. So, hey, you know, there were some questionable calls by the refs. The the Chiefs were a little bit aggressive in their defensive backfield, and uh, there are going to be bad calls here or there, but I don't think they impacted the final outcome of the game because I think the Bucks did a really good job defending the Chiefs and I think that was the difference. And Brady didn't make mistakes. Three touchdown passes, two to Gronk. And uh, the better team won. So there you go. Now, with the Super Bowl, we also have the halftime show and we have all the ads. So just very quickly, my guys guy take on a halftime show. The weekend, good artists, got a lot of good songs. Um, Performance-wise, you know, compared to last year, I don't know where you had J-Lo and Shakira. I don't know if there was as much energy. There seemed to be a lot going on around the weekend. But I think he kind of looked uh, visually a little bit lost in, in that huge set, which really wasn't, uh, didn't translate to TV that well. Maybe it looked really cool if you were there uh, at the stadium, but um, I don't know if it came off the way they wanted on the, on the TV screen. So I give him credit. He's a very talented artist. He's got a great voice and some good songs. But um, I don't think it was one of the top Super Bowl halftime extravaganzas, if you will. And I don't think a lot of people would disagree with that. But you never know, because Super Bowl halftime, that's really tough 
act because you have the stadium, you have about 20 minutes to get squeeze your entire career and messaging in there. And uh, it's a lot of pressure and you want to have, it's not just about your music, you have to have the visual cues that go along with it. And, you know, every artist has tackled it in a different way. And sometimes simple is better. And you know what? Simple is better also with the the Super Bowl commercials. Uh, A lot of the big advertisers sat out this year, Coca-Cola for one, um, but there was still a lot of advertising on there. And I found that since I have not been watching that much TV, in fact, I don't even own a TV right now. My wife, myself, and my son, we all use, uh, you know, uh, computer devices to watch our shows. And uh, we just took a break from TV since we moved to California. And it's been a good thing. I haven't missed it at all. Sometimes you want a big screen. So I loved, loved going to the movie theater, but they're shut down now. That that aside, um, the Super Bowl adds to me, since I haven't been watching much network TV, where it really felt like a, an assault on my senses. So many quick cuts, so many crazy, wacky bits, so many, you know, these celebrities popping up here and there and, you know, three-dimensional Doritos and all, all kinds of stuff where, yes, there were some funny moments, but... I found that a lot of those ads got lost because there was so many of them were similar in terms of their tonality and uh, their editing. And then we get to Springsteen for Jeep. Now, apparently, Jeep was after Springsteen for a long time, and they, he, they finally landed him, and he wrote the copy. My understanding is he wrote the copy, and I thought the ad really stood out for a number of reasons. One, the tonality was different. It was very quiet, yet it made an emotional connection because you had to stop and listen to it. Secondly, it was visually beautiful. The way they shot it was gorgeous. Um, The message was positive and it was provocative in that, um, and I think it was for the brand, it was strategically on, on target. And for a lot of people, they, there was a lot of different takeaways. I noticed from my social media feed and reading other people, some people have some of the conservative friends I know, they had a problem because they thought it was le- uh, liberals pandering to them. And some of my liberal friends felt it was too rural, meaning kind of white America, and it wasn't urban enough. And they thought that the cuts of the city, the two cuts of the city that were, I thought, very uh, precisely woven into the ad were, uh, you know, didn't fit. But um, I disagree. I thought, uh, listen, uh, advertisers are notoriously, and I say this having been in the business, uh, advertisers are notorious for jamming and overworking advertisements. They just put too much information in there and they put the pressure on the agency to communicate 9,000 things. What you really want to communicate in an ad is like one thing and you want to make an emotional bond with with the consumer. And I think Jeep did that and I think Springsteen was a good choice. He's never done an ad. He wrote the copy, as again, as I understand, and it was about positivity and inclusion. And uh, I don't, I don't have a problem with it, but a lot of people had a problem with it and a lot of people support it and a lot of people are talking about it. All good things, because now you've got something that's part of the cultural fabric where, how about that Springsteen ad? Because it really stood out when you're thinking about some of the other silly putty ads that were out there uh, for a lot of the other brands. So nice job, Jeep. Nice job, Springsteen, in my opinion. That's just your guys' guys' take on that. So anyways, let's get on with the show. We have got Dr. Michael Stephen uh, as my special guest. We're going to talk about the lungs. We're going to talk about covid And we're going to talk about how to protect yourself. So let's get right into that right now on Guys Guys Radio. 
It's Guys Guy Radio. We take over 7.5 million breaths every year and sometimes 600 million in our lifetime. And what goes on in our body each time oxygen is taken in and carbon dioxide is expelled is nothing short of miraculous. Our lungs are the linchpin between our bodies and the outside world, says Dr. Michael Steffen, who's my guest today. And yet we take our lungs for granted until we're incapacitated and suddenly confronted with their vital importance. He's written a book, it's called Breathtaking, The Power, Fragility, and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs. And Dr. Michael Steffen takes us on a journey with this book to shed original and much needed light on our neglected and extraordinary lungs at a most critical societal moment. Thank you for being on Guys Guys Radio, Dr. Michael J. Steven, MD. Thank you so much, Robert. It's really a pleasure. We were just talking a little bit before uh, we got on the air, uh, talking, uh, touching on you know different parts of the country and what's going on. So I guess we need to uh, start with COVID because when you think about the lungs and you think about what's going on, let's that's a perfect place to begin. So first of all, I want to, on behalf of myself and my listeners and my family, just thank you and the other first responders. People out there need to realize that with all the politics and all the other nonsense going on, that there's people out there putting their lives in danger to save us. And these are the real heroes. You might think Tom Brady winning this uh, seventh Super Bowl is a hero. And sure, he's a lot of fun. But the real heroes are out there putting their lives on the line. So I personally want to thank you, Dr. Steven, and all of your compatriots for all the work you're doing. And for yourself, I know you actually, by being on the front lines, you caught and experienced a pretty massive dose of COVID. So tell us about what happened. Yeah. So it all started for me back in April and May. You know, we were put on the COVID wards and there was great fear in the hospital. You know, for the first time in our lives, in my 25 years of working in hospitals, there was great personal danger. Um, but I will say the credit goes to, to the nurses, the nurses' aides, the environmental workers. Um, they didn't have quite the capacity to control their environment like us as doctors do. So I felt like I was watching the modern heroes of D-Day there. They were holding society together when things were really falling apart. We didn't know much about the virus. We had no medicines. Um, people, There was great suffering and people were dying. But I never, ever saw a schedule go unfulfilled uh, in those two months. I never saw a panic. I never saw nobody show up to work. So it was pretty extraordinary to see we have great workers um, in hospitals in the in the country. We have the best hospitals and the best workers in the world. There's no track record with COVID, so it's a little bit different. It's uh, because usually when you, some new d diseases come up, there's a protocol and you can tell, okay, where this person's case is in terms of what the track record is. And with COVID, we didn't have that. So how did that affect your work? Yeah, it was, it was kind of just, uh, our minds were blown. Our minds were totally blown away. Um, it's like being dropped in a forest with no compass and, and no GPS, no way to feel your way out. Um, so, so there was a lot of fear in the hospital. We kind of used a lot of medicines that we probably shouldn't have used, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and tocilizumab. Um, but you can understand that. People wanted to do something. They didn't want to just do nothing. They wanted to help. They wanted to feel like we were doing something important. Um, in the eight months since then, we've learned a lot. We have two very good medicines right now. We have a vaccine that's very hopeful. People understand masks more, I hope. Um, and I think we're going to get there. We are going to get there. Um, I had a bad bout of COVID back myself, ended up in the hospital. But like I said, great workers in the hospital, they took care of me. And I'm fortunate to be one of those back to 100%. 
with that in mind, it seems like what would be a great idea would be if everybody could have some type of better system of testing. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Because uh, I, I think that would help er not eradicate the problem, but I think if people could test themselves or there was a fast track way of getting tested that was accurate, it might really help because it seemed like there was a lot of politics about the testing and people didn't know where to go. And then the, we had all the, uh, you know, the arguments going on about too many testing means too many cases and then positive tests and negative tests and a lot of confusion there. What are your thoughts on that, doctor? I think you've hit on some very important things there, Robert, and I agree with you. The key to getting this under control is rapid and good testing and that everybody should have tests in their home right now. And they're not the most sensitive tests, but if you get, you know, some of those negatives may be false negatives, but they're probably good enough to gauge how infectious they are. So even if in the off chance it's a false negative on one of these home tests, um, the likelihood that that person is infectious is much lower. Um, so I think we need to work on the quality of our tests, but getting people home tests right away where they can rapidly test themselves and have a pretty good idea of where they stand with this virus um, is going to be very important. Of course, you know, they need to use common sense. If they are really feeling ill and they have a negative test, well, that's a time to ignore it and just isolate yourself and maybe go for a more proper test. But, but absolutely, we need more home testing. We need more rapid testing. Um, it's been shown that this can help us get out of this. And, you know, we just haven't had it and something to learn for the next one. As somebody who, who contracted COVID, what was it like? What did you, how did you know that you may, may have it, obviously from your work, but what are some of the early symptoms that set the alarms off for you? So, you know, the thing that's maddening about this disease is, and I talk about this in my book, is that, you know, a quarter or a third of patients are completely asymptomatic. Um, and so they don't know, and there's no way to know. Um, except, you know, maybe a little fatigue and, and that's the time to jump on a test with any symptoms or any exposures. For me, I came home, I felt like somebody took the batteries out of me and a few hours later I had a fever of, you know, almost 104. So it was pretty, pretty obvious in my case. Um, but you do have people all the way in between, loss of smell, um, loss of taste, a little mucus, some diarrhea. So people just have to be very careful and we need to have a very low threshold for testing. Do you always get a fever with this? You do not. No, um, certainly not. Um, okay. And there's just a wide spectrum of disease. And some people have, you know, like I mentioned, up to a quarter have absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. They're these asymptomatic carriers and they bring it around. Um, so, you know, how do we figure out just testing everybody? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, my next question is going to be about, be about how often we get tested. I'll give you a little story. Back in October, I had a and I'm an adult, obviously I'm a boomer, and I had an, uh, what I didn't know was an appendicitis attack, and I had to go attack, and I had to go to the hospital, and they found out that my appendix was infected, and it was affecting, it was going to affect my bloodstream if they didn't get it out right away. So outside the hospital, before I went into emergency, they tested me, and then I had the procedure, and it's been a battle coming completely back because I took very, very powerful antibiotics that they give you for anthrax and things like that. But I haven't been tested since then, and I feel great. Should I be getting another test? I don't think if you feel great and you haven't had any exposures, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't test you. Um, the two times that are very important to get tested are any kind of symptoms. And I mean anything, right? Nasal stuffiness, lack, lack of taste, any diarrhea. Um, so any new symptoms, I would go ahead and get tested. And then any exposures. So you know that you are around somebody who had it. Um, and if you're clear of those two things, you feel great. You've been going out about your business. You've been isolating in your pod and everybody's been doing well. 
then then no, there's no indication for a test there. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot, but with masks, I'm reading about now, oh, yeah, wear two masks, wear three masks, this mask is good, this mask is not. I mean, when we started out, we didn't know how long this was going to last, and my wife and I and my son, we were wearing bandanas, and then we realized, no, th- we got to get the real masks here. So we've been buying different ones, but what are your thoughts, if you have any on f- recommendations on masks? It's a difficult subject, but I think there are very clear recommendations, and I think the recommendations are very helpful. So the CDC has come out and said, you need a multi-layer mask. So that's sort of a basic surgical loop mask. It's not a super tight-fitting N95. And for most circumstances, I think that's probably fine. Um, you know, like you're walking outside, you know, downtown, and there's people around. Uh, you're on a subway, maybe. Um, you know, and you're six feet apart from somebody, I think the surgical mask, which is a multi-layer mask, should be okay. Um, when you're under higher risk places, say you're indoors um, and you cannot avoid being indoors, then that may be a time to wear two masks where you have, you know, an N95 airborne type mask, which filters out smaller particles and airborne type particles. And then you have another surgical loop mask on top of that, Um, That may make sense in those high-risk situations. Say you're going to a hospital and you're seeing a loved one that you cannot not go see, or you're in an indoor situation um, where there may be other COVID people around. Um, So we don't have definitive answers, but I would use some common sense um, and, you know, avoid congregation, uh, wear a basic loop mask, which is a multi-layer mask under low-risk circumstances, and consider two masks under other circumstances. My special guest on Guys Guys Radio is Dr. Michael J. Stephen. His new book, uh, Breathtaking, The Power, Fragility, and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs. We're going to get into the book, but I figured you know everybody wants to know as much as they can from an expert about COVID. So one or two more questions on COVID, and then we'll move to the book. Um, it seems like there's secondary strains and all these different strains from around the world. Do, where do you feel that the medical community is on this do we have a handle on this thing or is it just going to keep uh, going and if so how long you know not on the record but how long do you think this thing is going to keep going before it kind of peters out yep so we we don't know but i do know that we have a huge opportunity right now to crush this we know what we need to do in terms of isolation in terms of masks we have a very good vaccine which is working in the vast majority of cases so we have a window here and we have to take advantage of it if we don't take advantage of it, then this virus, we don't know where it's going to go, right? Could it adapt to us and become benign and kind of peter out almost on its own? It could. Could it become nastier? And could our vaccines um, be not quite as effective, um, which we're seeing a little bit now? It, it could. Um, you know, the vaccines, one thing to keep in mind is in the press, you know, they really throw out numbers for preventing disease completely. But what we really need to prevent is is hospitalizations and deaths like we do with the flu vaccine. So even though the South African vaccine seems to evade um, some of the defenses, you know, if it's good at cutting down severe disease and deaths, then then that's still okay. And we don't have all the data on that and all the strains and we don't know. But but my recommendation to everybody is now we have good vaccines right now. I don't know how long they're going to last. Um, we have good ideas of what's going on, so let's just all band together and crush this thing right now. There's always talk, you know, from the medical community, you're focused on treatment, and then for the individual, um, I think people need to be focused on prevention. You can't expect your doctors to do 
you know, the behavior for you. You have to do preventative things, no matter what the disease is. You have to take care of yourself, build up your immune system, et cetera. There's not a lot of talk about that, but you can't expect your doctor to do that. They're going to treat you when you're, when you're, uh, you, you have symptoms of something. So I hope you don't take that the wrong way, doctor. But what, in your opinion, since you've seen so many people, what do you think people should be doing beyond the social distancing and the hand washing and the wearing the mask for prevention and strengthening their own immune system so they avoid not just COVID, but other diseases and keep themselves as healthy as possible? Yeah. So there's a huge amount of that you can do to take care of your lungs. You know, if you're on tobacco or nicotine, um, maybe this is a little bit of a wake-up call to, to really motivate you to try and get off of those substances. They're highly, highly addictive, you know, more so than, than heroin in, in most people. Um, but get some help. Get some nicotine replacement. Now's the time to think seriously about, you know, tracking pollution on, on your smartphone and not going out and exercising. Um, when it's a high pollution day, think about, you know, environmental allergies within your house and at work, you know, when you're, when you're cooking with a lot of oils, uh, make sure a fan is on and there's good ventilation. Um, think about your weight, your diabetes and your hypertension. So, you know, I'm hopeful, you know, I, I'm a, like to think positively that this is a good time for people to, to take really good care of themselves, to take care of their lungs, to analyze their, their atmosphere and how, how to really, um, you know, knock down these risk factors. There's a ton you can do. Let's talk about the book, Breathtaking. It's amazing. You've written a really deep, interesting book about lungs. What uh, attracted you originally to pulmonary, pulmonary medicine, and how did you get inspired to write this book? Because I don't think there's anything out there that's like this. And great job, by the way. I appreciate that. And you're right. It's a deep dive into pulmonary medicine. There's been other books written about cancer and about the blood and the heart um, but, you know, lung medicine has been somewhat ignored, and I do a deep dive into all aspects of it, why we need our breath. Inspiration is the right word, you know, inspire. You know, our lungs are what defines us at the beginning, beginning of life and at the end of life as well. Um, I started getting interested in, in lung medicine and ICU medicine when I started in, in the intensive care unit as a resident in Boston in the early 2000s, pulling these very, very sick patients back from the cliff with expert doctors and nurses and respiratory therapists and seeing them restore the breath was so inspiring to me that, that I wanted to make a career out of it. And I wanted to bring, bring word about lung medicine and the right to a clean breath to the world. Since uh, smoking has uh, continually declined, at least in the United States, what are the newest challenges that you doctors like yourself are now facing with uh, the lungs? So, Tobacco is still a huge issue. You know, over 32 million people in this country still smoke. And vaping... Um, that was my tobacco. next question. Thank yeah, you. Vaping cut into our gains of tobacco cessation extraordinarily, especially in the high school crowd. Um, and if you're going to get addicted on tobacco before age 18, it's going to be so much harder to get off later in life. Um, so there's tremendous challenges still with nicotine. We've made a lot of progress since the 1960s, you know, when rates of smoking were 50, 60 percent in this country. So we've made a ton of progress, a long way to go with lung cancer and COPD. Um, pollution is a big issue. You know, every year since 2017, the American Lung Association has said our, our air has gotten worse quality of our air. This is due to climate change. This is due to pollution, to wildfires, to increased ozone levels. So there's a lot of work to do there. Um, environmental allergies are on the increase. Asthma has increased tremendously. 
Um, so there's just a wide swath of diseases. Uh, I talk about them in my book. I do a deep dive there into where we've come and, and where we need to go to get a handle on our breath. You know, COVID's just just a symptom of the disease. It's just a symptom. Um, and another crisis will come along as similar to COVID, if not worse, if we don't get on top of this stuff. Now, uh, I... Uh I do Qigong, which is uh, deep breathing. And I want to get your, uh, and it's interesting that I go out on my deck, I'm in San Diego, and sometimes there's a marine layer in the morning and I'm taking really deep breaths. And I'm like, should I be doing this? So what are your thoughts on some of the uh, deep breath exercises and how can we, kind of, we use the smartphone, I guess, to measure the pollution level before we do some of this stuff or, or running? Like I'm in Southern California. I ran a million times in New York. I'm running out here. It's a little bit of a different experience, but what, what do I need to know? Yeah, I, I would absolutely, it's a function on our smartphones now is pollution levels, and it will give you a pollution meter, you know, good, bad, and it will tell you, should I be exercising out to, outside today um, as somebody over 60 or, you know, under 10? The elderly and the very young are most susceptible to effects of pollution and outdoor allergens and, and noxious stimulants. Um, the, the lung cells are just not functioning as well and, and things can get in there much more seriously. So absolutely check your smartphone, check, check a weather app to check on pollution levels to see if you want to be exercising outdoors that day. If not, then, then that's a chance to take it indoors. Absolutely. How, how about for the folks who've, uh, who've uh, become non-smokers? Now I know in the case of, uh, my aunt smoked, uh, all malls for, uh, like 30 years and then she quit and then six years later she got cancer and she passed within six months uh some people stopped smoking like 30 years ago should they be concerned now or is there a time frame where you can feel a little more comfortable obviously not smoking is the best it's the best remedy but yeah. can you detoxify uh, basically can uh, if you or is that material still in your system and if so for how long yeah so within days so the, what I tell my patients, it's never too early or too late to quit smoking. Um, and the sooner you do it, the healthier lungs will be. And yes, there is a time frame where they do heal. So within days, you know, uh, things calm down in terms of asthma, you know, heart disease returns to a normal level after several years. In terms of lung cancer, um, it's generally thought that if you've been smoke-free, you know, anywhere from 15 to 20 years, that your risk for lung cancer um, drops down pretty close to just an average person's risk for lung cancer, which is, which is not zero, even in non-smokers. Um, so if there's an opportunity to quit smoking, um, I would take it, get off cigarettes. It's never too early or too late. And certainly over the years, your risk of different smoking-induced diseases declines. Um, and it's not zero, and, you know, and depending on how much you smoke, but certainly if you get 20 years out um, from from tobacco, you should be feeling pretty good about yourself and your health. If people do contract lung cancer, it used to be thought of as a, it's definitely a death sentence. It's over. Now, maybe not as much. Has thing, have things changed for the better there, doctor? Things have changed slowly for the better. You know, lung cancer is one of these diseases. It's not like colon cancer. And I compare these two in my book very deeply. You know, colon cancer grows at slow and predictable levels. So you can get your colonoscopy, you can get your screening. Um, lung cancer very often presents as very advanced disease where the treatment options are limited. Um, you know, about five, 10 years ago, there was appropriate screening mechanism in place for put in for lung cancer. And that's a yearly CAT scan. If you have smoked, you know, at least 
20 pack years within the last 15 years. Um, so that's progress. That's cutting down slowly on lung cancer rates. Um, there's newer medicines, you know, immune-based medicines where you activate the immune system to, to attack these lung cancer cells. And that's been shown to be quite effective in certain cases. Um, so certainly prevention is the best way, but lung cancer treatments have come a long way. Lung cancer rates are finally coming down. Um, the past couple years uh, come down about 5% a year. And, um, and so that's vastly encouraging. You know, 100 years ago, there was zero lung cancer. Um, and, you know, we need to work hard to, to, to do better progress, no question. There's a spiritual aspect to the lungs, and you touch on that in the book, but I know there's a yoga practice, pranayama, I think it's called, pranayama, and uh, it's about the spiritual meaning of, the, of lungs and breathing. Are you, are you familiar with that? Do you have any thoughts about the spirituality aspects of the lungs as they kind of give us life, if you will? Yeah, I mean, so this has been in all cultures um, throughout all time. Um, it's been in, in Judaism with the concept of ruach. It's been in Christianity concept of the Holy Spirit, you know, um, you know, God breathed on his disciples, giving them life. And, you know, we've gotten away from it a little bit in the West, whereas in the East with Pranayama, um, you know, they understand that a path to wisdom towards Nirvana is through a, a careful study of the breath. It's something that can ground you in times of stress. It can help stimulate the diaphragm, um, stimulate those feel-good hormones like um, serotonin and dopamine and, and really have a profound effect on your life in, in a positive way. And we've studied this both in the absence of health and in patients, in the absence of disease, excuse me, and in patients with diseases like asthma and COPD and even PTSD and cancer. So there's a lot more research we need to do about this, but there's thousands of years of evidence that breathing exercises can really improve your life. Okay, our special guest on Guys Guys Radio, Dr. Michael J. Stephen, MD, the book, Breathtaking, The Power of Fragility and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs. I'm loving this conversation. Um, what is the biggest surprise you've learned about the lungs while doing your research for the book? You know, I, I developed a new appreciation for how strong our lungs are, how resilient they are, um, that, you know, you can smoke for 30, 40 years and the chances of you not developing cancer or COPD are, are higher than what you are, um, that we can expose ourselves to this vast amount of pollution and um, waste and, and the lungs, despite being mostly air, are, are resilient. You know, we have reached a tipping point, though. There's only so far that you can push this, this beautiful organ. Um, another thing I will say is, you know, it's not just a simple organ pushing gas around. It's alive with cellular movement in and out. Um, and, you know, it's alive with immunology and chemistry. Um, it's this, this very beautiful organ that, that gives us life. It's the only organ in constant communication with the atmosphere. So it's constantly exposed to all these pollutants and noxious stimulus and viruses, but it's still able to do its job. And it's a shared space between everybody. And so it needs to be respected. And hopefully COVID can drive some of these lessons home to us. So it's a beautiful organ. It's resilient. Um, and I just developed a bigger appreciation for that writing the book. COPD, and I know you've done a lot of work with cystic fibrosis. For the benefit of our listeners who may not be super familiar with either one, they may have heard the name but are not exactly sure what these diseases are. Could you explain them for our audience, please? Sure. So COPD is probably, you know, the most, not probably, it is the most common lung um, condition causing, causing deaths in this country and worldwide. And, 
Most of it's from smoke exposure, but you can also get COPD just from pollution and hanging out indoor pollution. And it's just a slow destruction of the lung tissue where you just cannot appropriately do gas exchange, carbon dioxide out, oxygen in. That's why you see these people with, with oxygen tubes on walking around and it saps the life out of you. So it's not just a lung disease, it's an inflammatory disease of your whole body. Um, it's hard to get nutrition in, you know, it affects your brain and your, and your whole quality of life. Um, there's good inhalers for it. Um, lung transplant is an option, but certainly COPD is the number one lung killer in the country. And there's a lot more we need to do on it, which I talk about in my book. Cystic fibrosis, um, is a genetic, the most common lethal genetic disease of Caucasians. So one in 25 Caucasians will have a gene or CF. So it's quite common in that respect. Um, but you do need two genes to get it. There's about 35,000 patients in the country with it, and it's just too much mucus in the lungs. Um, there's a defective protein and a lot of mucus, a lot of bacteria. Um, but patients in the 1950s were living to age five, and now with new medicines, they're living over age 50. So it's been extraordinary progress on cystic fibrosis, and the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation deserves a ton of the credit for getting all of that work done. Just touch on pneumonia real quick. I had a case of pneumonia about four four years ago, and you know I couldn't shake it. And I went to the doctor, and he gave me some type of z pack or something. And all of a sudden, boom! Three days, I was I was on my way to recovery, and that was it. So it's a viral. I understand it's a viral infection, and I guess that's why you know a hundred years ago people got pneumonia and they died because you can't you can't shake it. What what are your thoughts on pneumonia? So pneumonia is very very tricky. Um, it's lower, you know. Pneumonias are the number one killer. World. How do you get it? So. You inhale a bacteria, um, a noxious bacteria or a virus, and your body can't fight it appropriately. And it divides in your lungs out of control, and you get a lot of white blood cells in there to fight it, but they're not effective. And the, the virus or the bacteria gets the upper hand. And that's what kills you in COVID most of the time is a pneumonia. Um, and sometimes you give antiviral medicines like remdesivir, or you'll give azithromycin if it's a bacteria mm -hmm. to, to help augment that killing of the bacteria or the virus within your lungs. So yeah, pneumonias are, are uh, infectious particles that have evaded your defensive systems, the defense systems of your lung. And um, if they take over your lung and you can't breathe, then, then yeah, that's going to be very tough to live with. Do people breathe correctly? Because I, th I think with all the anxiety and stress out there, there's a lot of mouth breathers and a lot of short breaths. And is there anything that you would recommend that people should do to kind of be more mindful about their breath? Yeah, you know, breathing with your diaphragm is so important. Um, you know, starting at the nose, you know, if you can breathe with your nose and you don't have an issue with it, the, the nose filters out noxious particles. It warms the air. Some people have cold sensitivities to the air. Mask can help with that. So certainly nose breathing is generally preferable, um, as is breathing with your diaphragm. You know, most of the blood flow in your lungs, and I talk about this in my book, is at the lower part of your lungs. So if you can breathe with your diaphragm, what happens as we get older, we get stressed. We breathe with our chest. A lot of our um, stress goes up there, and that's ineffective breathing. That's not doing good gas exchange. Um, so we need to get back to breathing with our bellies, to to working towards a healthy weight so we can expand that diaphragm, move that belly out of the way, and take easy, nice, easy, deep breaths to, to stimulate our vagus nerve and make our brain happy. You mentioned uh, asthma briefly earlier. Why is asthma, uh, I think it's on the rise now. Why do you think that is? Is that air pollution? 
probably part of it. We don't have all the answers. You know, there's just so much mystery in lung medicine. Um, you know, asthma rates in this country in 1980 were 3%. Now they're over 8%. They're over 12% in, in certain populations of kids. Um, there's actually more allergens today than ever. There's been a global greening of the atmosphere. Um, there's more vegetation in the world now, 20% more vegetation with all the extra CO2. The plants love that for photosynthesis. So there's more plants, there's more allergens, we're having shorter winters, there's just more pollen and pollution around. Um, and what else is contributing? We don't know. It could be something else totally different that we have no idea. We can't see the stuff in our air. We need to do more research on it. You know, uh, with athletes, it's interesting. I've run three marathons and in each case I was running, I'd say, how can that person be running better than me? I'm struggling and that person who looks totally out of shape just seems to be, you know, cruising along. And obviously their training regimen and uh, their experience is part of it. But uh, you know, you look at somebody like Lance Armstrong, supposedly beyond the whatever, whatever extra help he got, but he had this capacity to oxidize his, uh, his, I don't know if it's his blood or, but he could, his body could use the oxygen very effectively as some super athletes can do that. How, what, what is that all about? And is there anything that the Sunday, you know, uh, the weekend warrior athlete can do to uh, uptick their, their uh, capacity for their lungs for their training? So, uh, you know, those, those people like Lance Armstrong, those super athletes, they have what's called very high VO2 max. They are able to pump blood by their heart very efficiently. And then once it gets to the tissues, they're able to use that oxygen by their muscles very efficiently. And there's a genetic component to this. And some of us just are better at that than others. And these are the people who end up in the Olympics. Um, for, for everybody else, um, to increase your fitness no super easy answers here. Um, you know, just slow, steady cardiovascular work. If you're a runner, if you're a swimmer, getting in the pool and helping your condition, your heart and condition your muscles so they can extract oxygen as well as they can. But absolutely there's a genetic component and, and mm -hmm. some people are just better at it and more efficient and able to get in shape quicker than others. But, but for everybody, you know, there's no ceiling, I don't think in terms of exercise. And we're seeing what Tom Brate, you picked up yeah. Tom. He's, yeah. he's 43, 44 years old and, you know, the best quarterback in the NFL. So we understand that a lot of these issues with aging and, and muscle decline can be reversed. And the same is true for breathing. You know, we use our muscles of our chest so much for breath. And if we keep those in good shape, we can overcome any decline in our lung tissue that happens. So we're just learning extraordinary things about the body and we're just pushing the limits of, of a generation. And a generation has changed. A 43-year-old quarterback would be on heard of and certainly you know he's he's very you know disciplined and um he's in the top one tenth of one percent but but he's a light of what is possible what are the five things uh i think you've mentioned this uh in other interviews that people need to know or should know about their lungs that could help them so there is a natural decline that does happen in lung function but it can be reversed so i would say that's that's very important uh number two um look out for pollutants both at home um, and, you know, in the work and keep an eye on, you know, pollution in the atmosphere, um, for, for, for exercise type days. Um, you know, number three, um, you know, breathing problems are very often the lungs, but you also have to look at the heart. You have to look at anemia as well. So seeing a physician who really takes control of your case, if you're having breathing issues is very important, um, for COVID, you know, important thing to know is, you know, isolation masks and get the vaccine, and we have a huge opportunity 
um, to, to crush this and, you know, um, enjoy life and then, and enjoy your breath. You know, they're the organ that defines our, our existence here. Um, they can help you get a tremendous amount of light out of life if, if you take care of them. Okay, my special guest, Guys Guys Radio, has been Michael J. Stephen, MD. The name of the book, which is fantastic, Breathtaking, The Power, Fragility, and Future of Our Extraordinary Lungs. Dr. Stephen, please tell everybody where they can learn more about you and your book and what else they need to know. Uh, So you could go to my website, mjswriter.com, and, you know, read about the book. Go to my... um, Publishers, uh, Grove Atlantic. There's a page for me there, and certainly it's available. You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, and lo- hopefully local bookstores as well. You think there's going to be a volume two? I, I, I hope so. You know, <laughs> I think there's still a lot more to say and a lot more to learn about the lungs. And it's been a fun ride, and and it's been great. Well, listen, I want to thank you personally and for uh, for the benefit of our on behalf of our listeners, because you're a, you're a hero and what the work you're doing on the front lines and you're a guy's guy and uh, you were a very special guest today and very informative. And I really appreciate your being here. So thank you, Dr. Stephen. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Robert. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, that was a terrific interview with uh, Dr. Stephen, and uh, he is a guy's guy, and he is a hero, and he is a frontline worker, and he spent a lot of time preparing for this book. I mean, this is a deep dive book. It's over 300 pages, and it's all about the lungs. So if you really want to understand the lungs, everything from the lungs and spirituality, the history of everything we know about the lungs to COVID now and cystic fibrosis and COPD and some of the some of the uh, treacherous diseases that are out there today that could impact the lungs. Um, Dr. Stephen has a lot of information in his book, so thank you. So what did we learn? I guess big picture is that there's a lot of heroes out there on the front line, and let's not politicize the great work that the front line workers had been doing, are doing, and will be doing to protect us out there, and they are the real heroes. Okay, Tom Brady won seven Super Bowls, but the real heroes are on the front line protecting us each and every day uh, in the hospitals uh, when we contract this disease. So uh, for all of you out there, I just uh, hope that uh, you're protected and you're protecting yourself from this disease by being smart, wearing your mask, washing your hands, social distancing, not letting your guard down. And one of the things that Dr. Stevens suggested is uh, maybe a dual, dual mask. So something to consider. But uh, use your judgment and respect yourself and your family and also respect other people because you might be young and strong and whatever. But you know what? You guys all hanging out together and then in the bars or whatever, uh, whether it's indoor or outdoor. And then uh, you go home or you see your parents or you see your grandparents or you see friends and you might be transmitting to them without even knowing it. And you could be young and strong and asymptomatic and you could be spreading it. So let's just be respectful of each other. And I I think that's more than fair. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA, 102.3, 106.5 FM, 10.50 AM. The podcast and my YouTube drop Thursdays. The KCAA broadcast rebroadcasts every Sunday at 6 p.m. So basically, you consume 
You can consume Guys Guys Radio either as a video on YouTube or you can listen to the entire show on the podcast or on Terrestrial Radio each and every re- week. And all of, the, all of the episodes are available all over the Internet. There's over 20 platforms that we're on, so very easy to find the show. So thank you for your support. My website is robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I dot com. There's a lot of videos on there. There's over 300 blog posts, everything about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness through my Guys Guys filter. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide to Love, which is about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City in the ad business and where they play for keeps on Madison Avenue. And you'll find some savvy women there and some flawed guys and redemption and love and sex and lust and friendship. And I I think you'll enjoy the show. It's been called The Male Successor to Sex and the City. And I hope you'll enjoy it. So Guys Guys Radio and uh, the Guys Guys Guide to Love is the name of the novel. I'm all over social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. So you can catch me there. And I have a couple of minutes uh, on the show today. And I haven't done this for a while. And something I really want to do, I... I'm writing a blog on this right now, and it's, uh, you know, during the COVID time, the last year, it's almost a year now, uh, everybody has had an opportunity to take a look at it and say, okay, what am I going to do with this? Now, a lot of people are under a lot of pressure, job pressure, financial pressure, health pressure, insurance pressure, etc. And it's been tough. But sometimes with chaos comes opportunity. So if you've been lucky enough to be able to kind of dodge the bullets, if you will, in the areas I just mentioned, you might have had some time to kind of work on yourself. And I have been one of those lucky people. I did have uh, an an emergency appendectomy that almost almost drained my life away from me a couple of months ago. But beyond that, I've, I've been healthy and I've been very blessed. And I've taken some time to, of course, I'm working on the show all the time, but I've taken some time to work on myself and I jotted down some notes for it, what I call my kind of a 10 healthy habits that I have discovered and I have worked with over the last year and way beyond, way before that. But uh, I just keep adding to it. And I've used this time uh, of the lockdown to really relook those things and go a little bit deeper. And I've added some things to my uh, preventative, if you will, health preventative routine. So I'd like to share those with you right now. So number one. Rebounding. What is rebounding, you might ask yourself? Well, you get one of these mini trampolines. It's circular. I'd say it's about, I don't know, 36 inches wide uh, circumference and around the diameter. And and it's got a handrail that stands up so you can hold that if you need to. But just rebounding about 15, 20 minutes a day is supposedly equal to about uh, an hour of running. And it really is helpful. And I have found it supposedly does a lot of lymphatic drainage. It can tighten up your muscles. Uh, It just feels very good. And when I'm done with it, I'm a little bit like, whoa, what happened after my 20, 25 minutes a day that I do? But uh, I'm a little woozy when I'm done, but just for momentarily. And then I feel pretty good. And at night, I'm sleeping like a baby. And I'm feeling good. And I think the lymphatic drainage is probably one of the most... uh, important benefits from rebounding because when your lymph nodes are draining, you're draining out all the toxins and all out of your body. So it's a real good thing, something to consider rebounding. So that's number one. Uh, Two, uh, juicing. 
I started juicing over the past year and I started, I always use organic vegetables and I got a nice juicer. My wife and I got a good one and we juice, we started with kind of red juices and we may, you know, we put beets in there and also a lot of greens and have it in the afternoon or whenever wanted a little snack. And then I started reading about the whole benefit uh, package of uh, celery juice and the dox detoxification of the liver. And I thought, you know what, after years and years and years of, uh, being in the advertising in the spirits business in the spirits category, maybe doing something to help my liver out would be a good idea. So as I had mentioned previously on, uh, in previous shows, I stopped drinking for good uh, after my appendectomy. I just, uh, when I was going through the pains of before I went to the hospital, if you will, a voice came inside my head when I was laying on the floor of my apartment and my life force was kind of leaving my body momentarily i pulled it back in and a voice in my head said don't drink alcohol so i stopped and uh and then i started juicing and i've been reading all about the benefits of celery juice so i've been doing that every morning for about a month and i'm feeling good and supposedly it really does a, a bang up job of detoxifying and healing helping heal the the liver tissue number three meditation uh, since my appendectomy back in uh, mid-October, I've meditated every single day since then. And I think it's a very, very healthy practice. It's, uh, it's grounded me. It's helped me, my clarity of my thinking immensely. Um, no brain fog at all. Um, I feel very comfortable in my own skin. Not that I didn't before, but I don't feel as triggered as, as I, uh, things have been triggering. And, you know, with the shutdown and everything, the lockdown... People get triggered because they're just they're getting antsy, starting to climb the walls, and uh, and it happens to all of us. But I I feel comfortable, I feel calm, and I feel clear-headed. So meditation, and I only do about twenty or minutes or so a day, maybe twenty-five to thirty minutes tops. And for a lot of people, they need to do it a lot longer. I'm doing what's called a zero balancing, and it really helps me. I've also started doing based on a guest I had. I've started to do uh, qigong. And uh, Qigong is uh, deep breathing, and uh, there's a lot of different forms of it. Ba basically, you're working on your lung capacity, and you're doing a lot of deep breathing both ways. Qigong, and uh, I do it every morning. I go out on my deck, and I do some deep breathing for about five minutes or so, and I find it helps. You can do an hour session of Qigong for right now. I'm just a beginner, but I make sure I do it every day. Every day. And I think, for me at least, the regularity of it, the consistency, is a big help. I've also been uh, dowsing, and dowsing is from another guest. This guest was uh, Raymond Grace, and um, he taught me dowsing, which is you get one of those little pendulums on a, on a chain, and um, you start to work with it, and you talk to it, actually, and I know it sounds crazy, but this is me. This is what I do, and if it go, you, get, you understand, it'll tell you yes or no, and then you test it a few times on that, and I ask it if it's from Divine God, God's White Light to make sure that it's not some type of trickster energy in there, and then I, uh, I use it to uh, go in a, a uh, counterclockwise direction, and I use that, and I talk to it about um, intention of releasing toxins from my body, disease from my body, negative thinking, feelings of lack, etc. Do that for a while, and then I uh, have it slow down, and then it goes the other way, and I bring in loving energy and forgiveness and and uh, a lot of good feelings for myself and for others. And I found that the practice really helps. I do that for about, eh, about 10, 10 minutes a day. And uh, so that's really helping me. 
Also, sleep, I maybe it's because I'm in California, but I go to bed earlier and I get up earlier, and I'm more of a daytime person than a night owl uh, like I was in New York City, and it's really helped. I'm making sure I, I'm getting my sleep, and uh, I think we've all been uh, uh, blessed with being able to get an extra hour or two here based on the shutdown, so I'm taking advantage of it, and I feel well-rested, so that's a really good thing, and people a lot of times just ignore their sleep and they're running on empty, and sleep is very healing. So consider that. And again, these are tips that I do. I'm not saying they're right for you, and maybe some of them are, and others don't feel as good, but they work for me, and that's all I'm sharing. Um, biking and running. I get out there and do cardio. I know with COVID, you got to protect yourself, but if I'm uh, riding around, I, of course, I have a mask with me. If I see people that get close by, I put it up. Otherwise, I'll pull it down. I run, and I bike. Uh, as much as I can, I take my son out for long bike rides. And um, with the rebounding, I haven't been running as much, but I do believe that cardio is important, and a lot of the gyms have been shut down. So I want to make sure I get that movement in my body, particularly as a boomer. Okay, just a few more. Meat. I stopped eating meat about 10 years ago. I've never felt better. I mentioned I stopped drinking. Uh, it's been about four months. I haven't looked back. I look at the benefits of not drinking instead of like, oh man, I can't have a drink. And it's been fine. The other thing I'm very careful about is uh, sugar because sugar can be your enemy because it really creates havoc uh, on your body and on your cells. You can do all the research you want on that. So I'm very mindful about how much sugar. And then last but not least, which is really important for me, is um, I do a lot of affirmations and kind of prayers to myself, and I actually mouth the words when nobody's around. And um, I actually look at the affirmations, of, as if you will, as commands, not as affirmations, just saying things rote. I make, I'm commanding these things. And I think that attitudinal change and intentional change really makes a big difference. So something to consider, and that's what I do on Guys Guys Radio. Uh, I do it for me. And the better version of me is a better version of me for everybody else. So anyhow, that's my thoughts. Think about it. Think about how you can work on yourself when you have the time, if you have the time, and bless every one of you. So Guys Guys Radio, we're back next week with another show. Thanks so much. And as I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>